Raymond, you got me. <laughs> Had no idea we were going to have another song. I thought, boy, this is awkward. But we press on. Appreciate Raymond leading our singing today. Brother Billy battling some throat issues. And so we're glad that Raymond could lead our singing today and very appreciative of him and his ability to lead our singing. We're glad that you're here today. We're very thankful for the opportunity that we have to be together on the first day of the week. It is a beautiful day. The rain has quit, unbelievably, and so we're glad to see the sun again. But We're very grateful for the opportunity to be together today, and if you're visiting, as always, we invite you back. So thankful that you've chosen to come our way. We hope and pray that you will have other opportunities to be with us as we worship here. And I know that we say this always from week to week or just about every week, but listen, if you're looking for a church home, please consider the work here. We would love to have you come and be a part of our work here at Olive Branch. We're going to be looking today at Ephesians 2 verse 16, the passage that Zach read a moment ago. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, as we think together about the power of reconciliation. There have been many, many books that have been penned down through the passage of time. The greatest of all books, of course, would be the Bible. If someone were to ask, what is the Bible all about? Really, in one word, we would say it's about redemption. It's about salvation. And the interesting thing, I guess the thing that stands out about Scripture is the fact that it is a revelation from God to the human family. And what God is saying through Scripture to people of every generation is that I want to be in fellowship with you. We understand that going all the way back to the garden, that man sinned, and as a result of that sin, man became estranged from his Creator. So what God is saying in Scripture is, I want to be reconciled back to you. I want to enjoy a relationship with you as my creation. So I want us to think about that for a moment or two, and as we look at Ephesians 2 verse 16, Paul in this great book emphasizes not just the Christ, but the church of Christ. The church, of course, being born, and born in the mind of God. The church exists in accordance with God's eternal plan. And Paul, in a very great way, emphasizes the redemptive work of Jesus. And that redemptive work involves reconciliation. And so in verse 16, Paul would say to people of all ages that God has reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. I want to begin by first of all talking about the person of reconciliation. The person of reconciliation, that would, as you well know, be Jesus. And we'll talk more about that in a moment or two. But as we talk about 
the importance of reconciliation and the person of reconciliation. I think first and foremost, we have to understand something about the need for reconciliation. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, in the Garden of Eden, we read about the serpent. And the Bible tells us that the devil, the serpent, deceived Mother Eve. She transgressed the law of God. Adam, her husband, also transgressed that divine command. As a result of that, a breach was made in fellowship between man and his Creator, or man and his God. And so, when we talk about the need for reconciliation, it really all stems from sin. Sin is what, as Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, sin separates us from God. Sin is a problem that has been in existence since the Garden of Eden. And the devil has done a tremendous job in separating and alienating God's creation. Now we talk about creation. Creation is the world in which we live. God made the heavens. He made the earth. All things therein. The crown of God's creation, however, is mankind, isn't it? And so you think about mankind, the crown of God's creation has been separated and alienated from her Creator. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul makes mention of the fact that we have been alienated from God as a result of sin. And you think about that breach that, ha that has existed and the fact that there was a God in heaven that was willing to do something about it. So what about the nature of reconciliation? Now, sin is a real problem. The world in which we live has been plagued by sin. Paul would say in Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. John tells us that those who commit sin, he would say, are the bondservants of sin, quoting Jesus in John chapter 8. John would also say in 1 John chapter 3 at verse 4 that sin is a transgression of the law. And so there is a need for reconciliation. But the nature of reconciliation is something to consider. I want you to think for a moment or two about the author of reconciliation. The author of reconciliation would be none other than God the Father. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul said, all things are of God. Now listen to what he said who has reckoned all things to Himself by or through Jesus Christ. What would compel God in heaven to reach out to fallen humanity? I mean, why would God be concerned about us? We are finite creatures, aren't we? And you think about the fact that we have been made in the image and the likeness of God, and there are so many blessings and benefits that we enjoy on planet Earth. But to think because of sin, because of transgression of the law, we have been separated from God. And so there, there is this holy and just God who was offended by His creation as a result of sin. A breach occurred. Sin separates, sin alienates. And yet God was moved to reconcile us back to Himself. Again, as Paul said, all things are of God, who has reconciled all things to Himself 
by Jesus Christ. Paul would say in Colossians chapter 1, it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, that He might reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, that is, things on earth, things in heaven, through the body of His flesh, through death. To think that there is a God in heaven that genuinely loves us, that's concerned about our well-being, that wants to be in fellowship with us. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul makes mention of the fact that at one time we were dead. And Paul said, you has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And he would talk about how God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive together with Christ. So here is a loving God, estranged from his creation, willing to make the first move so that we might enjoy fellowship with him. God is the architect. He is the author of reconciliation. Jesus is the agent by which reconciliation has been made possible. Now Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 verse 16 that he might reconcile both in one body unto God. The he there is Jesus. And Paul said all things are of God. He has reconciled all things to himself by Jesus Christ and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Now listen to what he says in verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. That's a marvelous thought. I mean, you think about here is a gracious God in heaven who was willing to send His Son to be the perfect sacrifice and substitute for the sins of the human family. Paul would say not imputing or not reckoning their sins to them. That there is a gracious God in heaven that would forgive our sins, blot them out, wipe them out. To think that we can stand before God justified, just as, we, just as if we had never sinned. Now, Jesus was a willing participant, wasn't he? I mean, you think about the fact that God, as Paul would say, spared not His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all. It's difficult for us to comprehend the magnitude of the love of God, the depth of His grace, the extent to which He was willing to go to save us from sin. The Bible, in a very candid way, makes known to us the blessings of redemption. And the fact that Jesus paid the price for all. And that Jesus was the means by which we enjoy the hope of heaven. But Paul would say in verse 21 of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians, Him who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Can you imagine the sinless Son of God willing to leave the portals of heaven, I mean, leave the majesty of heaven, to come to a sin-cursed earth, to live among mankind, and then to endure 
the cross. What would have, what would have prompted God to send His only begotten Son? Love. What would have compelled Jesus to go to the cross on our behalf? Well, number one, a willingness to comply with the wishes of His Father. Do you remember Jesus said during His earthly ministry, My work is to do the will of Him who sent me? Do you remember in John 6, verse 38, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of my Father which is in heaven. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And He is pouring out His heart to the Father. And Jesus is praying to the Father. And He's saying, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus, fully God and fully man. And Luke said, being in agony, He prayed more earnestly. If there is any other way for me to accomplish Your will, then Father, let it come to pass. But ultimately, let Your will take precedence. And so here is Jesus offering up, as the Hebrew writer would say, prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto Him who was able to save Him from death. And the writer said, He was heard in that He feared. Jesus agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was the agent by which reconciliation was accomplished. And He agonized in, he agonized in Gethsemane for you, for me, for the entirety of the human family. So, the person of reconciliation. But then there's a second thing. And that is the people of reconciliation. I want you to think for a moment or two, first, of, first and foremost, about the scope of reconciliation. The Bible tells us that He reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. Wouldn't you say that God's plea to be reconciled is to all? I mean, isn't God interested in all people? Listen again to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul said, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us. He said, we implore you on Christ's behalf, listen to him, be reconciled to God. God sent His Son so that you might be reconciled to Him. And Paul, as an ambassador of Christ, as an apostle of Christ, as a special messenger on behalf of the Lord, is pleading with the saints in Corinth. And really, the plea is to all. And that is to be reconciled to God. That plea continues to go forth. Didn't Jesus say, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, the promise being, I'll give you rest? Didn't God say that He would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? Didn't Peter write that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? Yes, He did. This plea for reconciliation is open to all. God's plea is to all, and God's pardon is for all. God is willing to forgive anyone, everyone, anytime, anywhere. Let that sink in for a minute. God is willing to forgive you. It's true, sin separates us. 
And sin alienates us from God. But through Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to God. We can enjoy fellowship with God. We can have communion with our Creator. We come together on the first day of the week to bow in the presence of God, to worship Him. The psalmist said, oh come, let us, let us fall down and worship. Let us bow before our Maker. Think for a minute about we're in the presence of God. And we have the opportunity to worship God. We have the opportunity to be in communion with Him. All made possible by the blood of Christ and His willingness to forgive us and to reconcile us. Pardon is a beautiful thing. Don't you think that there are people in our world today that feel as if the stain of sin is so deep and their life is so out of kilter, there's no way God would forgive them. Don't you, don't you think that there are people that feel as if they're beyond hope, beyond redemption? Sure there are. And yet reconciliation affords us a new beginning, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that the possibility? Didn't Paul say, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation? He said, old things, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You tell me, are there not people in our world today that are looking for a clean start, a fresh start? Aren't there people in our world today that would love the opportunity to just start over? That's the opportunity that is presented unto us in Scripture. God is saying, look, you have, you have the opportunity to begin with a clean slate. Well, that's a great possibility. I mean, when we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we enjoy, through the new birth, that new beginning. That's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. What God is saying is, whatever is in your past, let me tell you, it is in your past. There are people in our world today that if you have offended them, if you have been estranged from them, they'll remind you of that. It might be the case that at one time you were estranged. That you had been separated because of something said, because of something that was done, or maybe because of the actions of another person. They were offended and they held you accountable for it. And so, even after reconciliation, they continue to bring it up and remind you. Remember when we did, you remember when you said that? You remember when you did that? You remember that particular incident that occurred between us? Well, that's not how God operates. God said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities, God said, I will remember no more. God is willing to forgive. Not only is God willing to forgive, but God is willing to forget. In the sense that those sins, those iniquities, those things that have stained and soiled our lives, those things have been blotted out, they've been removed, and we bear them no longer. So, it's a great concept. Reconciliation 
affords us a new beginning, but also it affords us new blessings, doesn't it? Didn't Paul say in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that those who are in Christ Jesus enjoy all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ? If you read the book of Ephesians some 35 times in that book, Paul is going to talk about the importance of being in Christ or being in Him, which says to me there's something special about being in Christ. Because when you're in Christ, that's the place that you tap into all spiritual blessings. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. And so when we're in Christ, we enjoy pardon or redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. We have been pardoned, and then add to that, we enjoy peace. Paul would say in Ephesians 2 verse 14, For He Himself is our peace. Didn't Paul write in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God? That is a new blessing. Reconciliation affords us new blessings. We've been pardoned from sin. We enjoy peace with God. And we have the presence of God in our lives daily. To know that there's a God who stands by me, who stands with me, who is for me day in and day out. What a great blessing. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see in our study. We talk about the person of reconciliation, the people of reconciliation, but what about the place of reconciliation? Paul said that he has reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. Where does man meet God and enjoy reconciliation? Well, it occurs at the cross, doesn't it? And what Paul is saying is, first and foremost, reconciliation is in Christ. I said a moment ago, there's something special about being in Christ. Where is salvation located? Well, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, that salvation is in Christ Jesus. So if salvation is in Christ, then the question arises, how then do we get into Christ? Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 26, we're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So when we're baptized into Christ, some things occur. First, we contact the blood of Christ. What washes away our sins? The blood of Jesus. Didn't Paul write Ephesians 1 verse 7, the passage we referenced a moment ago, that it's in Him that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace? John said unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins by His own blood. So if we want to appropriate the blood of Christ, which ultimately washes away all sins, we must go where it was shed. Where then did Jesus shed His blood? John tells us in chapter 19, verse 34 and 35, in his gospel narrative, that Jesus shed his blood in death. So if Jesus shed his blood in death, we must go where he shed his blood in order to appropriate the benefits of the blessings of that blood. So listen to what Paul said, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized, listen to him, into his death. When we're baptized into the death of Christ, we enjoy the benefits of the blood of Christ. Now, where does reconciliation occur? It occurs in Christ. 
But add to that fact, not only is reconciliation in Christ, but reconciliation is in the church of Christ. What do you mean? Well, listen again to Paul. Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. What's the body? Paul said he's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. That means reconciliation takes place in the one body. You mean to tell me that I have to be a member of the one body, the church, to be among the redeemed, to be reconciled to God, to be counted among the saved. That's exactly right. That's what Paul is saying. That Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in the one body unto God through the cross. So, what happens when we obey the gospel? When we're baptized into Christ, we contact the blood of Christ. We're added to the body of Christ. And then we enjoy fellowship with God, don't we? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God has called us into fellowship, into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. When John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, he talks about how we enjoy fellowship with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Here are people that at one time had been estranged because of sin. They have been separated, they've been alienated, and what God is saying is, you're now in fellowship with me. Reconciliation makes it possible for us to be in fellowship with God. Not only do we enjoy fellowship with God, but we are among the family of God. When Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, there were many Gentile converts. And he said, look, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. But now he said, you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. In other words, you're a part of God's family. The Gentiles in the past had been viewed by Jews as nothing more than dogs. They were deemed the unclean. The Jews despised the Gentiles. They hated them. And yet what Paul is saying is, look, you need to understand something. That as a child of God, you're on equal footing with Jews. Matter of fact, Paul would say in Galatians chapter 3, in the context of those who have been baptized into Christ, he said, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. Equal status in the body of Christ. And he said, if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. God made a promise to Abraham centuries ago. That promise was that through his seed all families of the earth would be blessed. And what God is saying to us today is, look, you can be in fellowship with me. God is saying, you can be a part of my family. And we talk about being a part of royalty. It's amazing to me that how even though we live in America, we hear so much about the royal family in England. Sometimes I wonder, why, why are people so fascinated with the royal family? I mean, we're living in America, and yet people have this fascination with the royal family. And what the Bible says is, look, if you're a child of God, you are a part of a royal family. Paul, or rather, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's us. Why? Because we've been reconciled to God. We are God's special people. That's what he said in 1 Peter chapter 2. You are a people for God's own possession. 
I want to close today by asking you this question. Have you been reconciled to God? Are you a part of His family? Are you in fellowship with Him? Do do you enjoy the blessings that we outlined just a moment ago? Have you been pardoned from sin? Do you enjoy the peace that passes all understanding in your life? What would you need to do? I believe Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, verse 24. Confess His name before others, just like the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. Be baptized into Christ as they did on Pentecost Day, Acts 2, verse 38. Let God put you in the church, His family. And then be faithful till death. And you know, the Bible says that those who are faithful until death will receive a crown of life which fades not away. That's what James wrote in James 1.12. If you're here today, maybe you are a child of God and like the prodigal have gone out into that far country and you haven't been in fellowship with God in a long time. You've been separated. You've been alienated. But now you want to be reconciled. What would you need to do? You know, John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Could we pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing?